What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 32 of the Triage Method podcast. I'm here with the wonderful Paddy Farrell. Again, he's looking even more tan this week after another week of the wonderful Irish weather. How are you this week, Paddy? I am absolutely superb, Gary. Um, it's been a good week. Got boatloads of work done. Even though we're recording this on Monday, and we normally post this on Monday, but you were having, you know, fun or something out in the weekend rather than working. I don't know, it's actually disgusting. I, I just try not to, to listen to you when you talk about that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so what are we talking about today, Gary? What What is the topic of discussion for this podcast episode? So we're going to be talking about, well, m- more so revisiting the concept of active range of motion and not not for the sake of just defining that as a thing but more so just saying looking at it very broadly and saying all right do you have the ranges available to do the exercises that you're doing like that that's the main point of discussion so we want to kind of open up your mind to the prerequisites that you should have for you to be able to do the exercises that you're doing and not just the exercises that you're doing but the ranges through which you're working on the exercises that you're doing so that's pretty much what we want to talk about. And the reason we want to talk about that is because, you know, Paddy said earlier in the week that <coughs> people just don't really seem to grasp it. You know, people seem to conflate like the idea of assessing your active range of motion and customizing your own range of motion and exercise execution with doing partials on a bench press. Like people seem to only grasp that active range of motion relates to not touching your chest in a bench press. And then some people assume that or active range training is a thing as in like you just don't touch your chest and that's always better and that's not the case at all like if it is within your range then you should be touching your chest so they're the types of things that we want to get stuck into also on the other side of that as well with the fact that people kind of assume it only relates to pain so they'll go with the the bench press one because this is the one that everyone goes oh i can i can grasp this one it makes sense even though they then don't actually grasp the concept they just grasp another movement they just added another movement to their repertoire of movements rather than grasping the underlying fundamental mechanics whatever you want to call it and but yeah the the pain side of things people will just assume that oh i don't need to look into these movements or look into this these issues or assess my active range of motion or whatever if i'm in pain you know like that's that's the only time when I, i need to do it there has to be this this trauma that initiates me actually looking into active range of motion and if I'm feeling good and I'm not in pain from all these other movements I'm doing that means that they're within my active range of motion so we're all good to go which couldn't be further from the truth because you could be doing movements that are way beyond your active range of motion like you're, you're just not stimulating the muscular tissue we'll say like obviously you are stimulating it but you're not stimulating you're going beyond the the range of that joint and you're just moving on to like connective tissue or non-contractile tissue whatever you want to call it right and that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in pain you know so like you see a common one with this and we're going to go through hopefully we'll get through anyway uh, a few common issues a few common sites that you'll see this in but like say squats is one where people will go way beyond their active range of motion at the ankle and they won't get any pain at the ankle. So they're like, oh, my ankles aren't the, the limiting factor. So we're all good to go there, even though something else is going wrong further up the chain or whatever else, you know? So don't get in your head that we're just talking about, oh, you, active range of motion only applies if you're in pain, or it only applies to these modified, like you said, Gary, active range movements. It's like, no, there's there's an actual fundamental idea behind this that you need to take into all the exercises you do anyway Gary I'll let you talk a little bit more yeah um so I think the easiest way to probably discuss this is to break it up into four parts so we'll discuss like a push exercise a pull exercise a deadlift variation and a squat variation because that covers the majority of things and that should point you in the right direction in terms of your thought process but the one thing I want to start with as a bit of a caveat is you know, there's always this soundbite in the fitness industry that uh, we know for sure that full range of motion training leads to more muscle growth. Like people just kind of throw that around and it doesn't actually mean anything because you'd actually be surprised how weak the evidence base even like, and, and it generally comes from the evidence based community. Like you'd be surprised how weak the evidence base is in relation to range of motion and hypertrophy. Like it is very unconvincing 
And like, if it was any other area, like in nutrition or, or, or something, people would say, oh, the evidence base is too weak to make any sort of conclusions. But because it's, because it, it just happens to fit in with kind of general practice and what people have always done, then we're very confident in saying that, oh, you need to train full range of motion. Like a lot of the studies are comparing like 50 degrees at the knee versus 90 degrees at the knee in like squat and leg press and lunge very type exercises. And if you actually picture that in your own head, what that actually looks like, it's more likely that the person saying to stay within your active range is going to be at 90 degrees or more than at 50. So you're actually comparing things that don't relate to real world application at all. Because like realistically, unless you're a total idiot, no one is squatting to 50 degrees of knee flexion. Like that is barely a quarter squat. So, you know, people often just, just say they're very confident in saying that, oh, you need to go full range of motion. And so, so I'm saying that it's like there, there may be, a, there may well be a very good argument to maximize your range of motion for hypertrophy within the range that you can control. But even at that, I'm not going to make that claim like very strongly because people, you know, people, people just run away with what the evidence actually says. And it doesn't even say that much. So that's just that caveat. Yeah, I'd like to just add to that as well. Like you said that common practices would kind of dictate that as well. But I'd actually argue that it doesn't because, man, you never see people proper ass-to-grass squat. And they'll say, oh, I'm squatting full range of motion. And realistically, what they're doing is stopping that parallel because that's more interactive range. That's where they can actually keep tension on their muscles. And when and then they notice when they actually go to this like ass-to-grass squat, you know, for a lot of people, that's beyond the range of motion that they have control at they're going to have to like round their lower back or you know shift all their weight towards their toes or some other so, something's going to fall apart right so they'll go like oh no i don't go down there because there's an injury risk right and you're like are you actually like how cognitively dissonant do you have to say i'm literally saying that exact same thing about other movements you know saying that people don't have these active ranges of motion and you're applying this to a movement and saying the exact same things that i'm saying so Unless people are talking, if someone says to me and they're like, oh, full range of motion is what you have to do, then I'm fucking looking at them squat and I want to see their literally ass cheeks on the ground. That like full range of motion, bro. Like it has to be full range of motion, you know? And then they'll also say stuff like, oh, rack pulls are great for, you know, building the, the, the back. They're, I don't know, better than deadlifts or something. It's like, that's how, like, again, you've just shortened the range of motion here. Like, how is this, like, where, where is this fucking cognitive dissonance coming in? And it's just as soon as I say it about your precious bench press, oh, fuck, nah, bruh, like has to touch your chest, you know? So I would argue that common practices aren't full range of motion. People just like <clears throat> to think in their head that, oh, this is a full range of motion, even though their squat is literally fucking higher than a giraffe's asshole. Like, higher than a giraffe's asshole. But yeah, that, that, was, that was just something I wanted to clear up because I think like, People are often very overconfident with what the evidence might say. But when you actually read it, and I remember the first time I went really looking for this answer, like where is all this evidence about full range of motion being necessary? It's actually very underwhelming. But anyway, um, let's break it up into those four parts because I think that's really helpful. So let, let's start with something like a squat because realistically everyone squats um, or does some some sort of variation. So you before have. you get into this, Gary, so let's kind of break it down so people can kind of follow along and obviously give ourselves a little bit more structure of how we're going to deal with this. So we obviously want to <clears throat> address common issues, like common sites of issues. So like where are the most likely, <clears throat> like a fucking speak and knock off, where are the most likely, like where, where, where the, the wheel is going to fall off the, the wagon? Like, so we need to assess or address that first of all. And then work into how we can assess these movements for you as an individual. And obviously, you're all going to have to use your imagination, that beautiful power of your imagination, because obviously this is audio uh, and there's no visual prompts or cues or anything. So if you can kind of get the argument or get the, the structure to your, your thoughts, Gary, in terms of these are the common sites that stuff is going to go wrong. This is how you assess it. And then we'll go into how you can kind of maybe modify things or think about modifying things to allow you to exercise in a more we'll call it i hate the word but functional manner in terms of you're not going to get injured you're actually achieving the goals you want to achieve does that sound like a good kind of structure for you to follow with these discussions yeah absolutely yeah but so so when we look at a squat 
the the joint the joints involved are the ankle joint like there's two ankle joints kind of but both of them the knee joint the hip joint and all of the intervertebral joints so all of the joints between the vertebra of the spine so you can just think of that as the back like they're the primary joints that are involved but there's also secondary joints that are important from the perspective of the active range of motion discussion and they are your wrists your elbows and your shoulders because they actually are important and they are one of the places that the wheels can fall off so if we think about the most common issues that people will have during a squat in terms of i guess in terms of from a pain and injury perspective it's probably knee pain hip pain and back pain but plus or minus shoulder pain probably more common in powerlifters especially if you do like a low bar variation but they're, they're the main places that people will have pain during a squat but the places like pain pain as you pointed out patty pain is not the only problem like obviously a lot of you are, are doing your squats for some sort of muscular development or you're doing it for sports performance and like there are other places the wheels can fall off in terms of technical breakdown so you're you're back rounding a lot at the bottom of the squat or your hips shooting back very soon or your knees caving in so they're all problems as well that that are obviously very relevant if you're looking to squat to your best capacity so if we think about the joints that are involved if you were to like some people you might just go in under the bar and you can squat perfectly you never have any problems but i'm going to assume that that's not everyone so what would you actually assess so you'd start by assessing your ankle range of motion okay and it will be pointed out to you when you do the exercise but a very basic screen of your ankle range of motion if you if you just Put your foot up, put your foot up in a box, keep your foot flat on the floor, and then push your knee forward. And then if you find that your knee can only go as far as like the middle of your foot and you can't even get it over there, like for whatever reason, maybe you have a very tight Achilles, maybe you have some sort of bony spur that is blocking the joint, you might have a history of, of, of some sort of ankle injury. I, I don't know, but that might, that might be you. You might find that you cannot get your knee very far over your, over your foot. and that's going to influence the way in which you squat. Because if you want to then squat ass to grass, the big prerequisite for that is good ankle dorsiflexion. So the ability that for your knee to travel over your toe. Or people overcome that then by elevating the heels. And we'll discuss that soon. But that, that's, kind, that's kind of step one. Because ankle dorsiflexion is a big limiting factor for people. So again, you have to do left and right because it's common for people to have some sort of discrepancy between their left and right ankle. And then if, if, you're, if you're not assessing that, then you can really miss things up the chain. Because for example, some people will see that their hips shift to one side in the squat. And some people will just look at that and they'll immediately look at the area that changes the way it looks like the hip. And they'll say, oh, that's a hip weakness. You've got weak glutes or something like that. Whereas it could very well be that you just have a discrepancy in your ankle range of motion and hence one knee can go further forward on one side and then you see the hips change. So this is why it's important to look at every link in the system because otherwise you begin to miss things. So that's the ankle as a, as a basic kind of starting point. Um, and, then, and then you move on to the knee. The knee isn't very important, all right? And I know I know it's like the, one of the, the joint that bears like a lot of the load in a squat, but it's very rarely the limiting factor in someone working through their full range of motion or their active range of motion in the squat. It's just generally not a problem. And a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I can't squat down because I have tight quads. Very rarely the problem because to get to like almost a, a, a parallel squat, we'll say, you probably need 100 to 120 degrees in knee flexion. And I mean, if you don't have that, like there's, there's very, there's a problem that you're very aware of. Like there's, there's some sort of problem there that, that, that you've had for a long period of time that you're going to be aware of because you'd be finding it very difficult to sit down on chairs already. So it'd be, it'd be a problem. It'd be something that'd be probably medically managed, but that's not to say that you may not have a problem. So a quick screen in the knee, can you, can you bring your foot in behind you when you're sitting down? If you can, you probably have enough knee flexion to, to get a pretty decent squat. And then the hip can definitely be a limiting factor for people and the thing with the hip is that there's a lot more going on around the hip than just the hip so if you are someone that is quite overweight then you may have a lot of fat mass around the hip joint that actually blocks it from 
working through its full range of motion. And that becomes relevant and it can sometimes be an advantage. You know, if you ever see a, a strongman squat, they tend to have a lot of fat mass and they can just bounce out of the bottom of that squat because they just bounce out off of their fat mass, their belly, the fat behind their knees, etc. So the hip joint, you want to screen the range of motion at the hip joint. So if you lie down on your back, and we have videos of this stuff in the militia, obviously, if you're interested. But if you lie down on your back and you flex your hip up, which means that you bring your knee up towards your chest, then you're able to see what sort of range you have at that hip joint actively, okay? And this is where you want to kind of add another layer of complexity to that. So if you bring the knee up in front of you, you'll often find that if you bring your knee slightly out to the side, let your hip drop down a bit, you'll be able to bring it up further. Maybe maybe you will, maybe you won't. And that's an important piece of information for you because then that will tell you whether or not you may be suited best to squatting with your knees facing forward or squatting with them a little bit facing out a little bit more. So that's an assessment of the hip, of hip flexion. And then you're kind of bringing in that hip abduction component as well by pushing the leg out to the side. And then a quick screen of hip external rotation. Like you can look that up. It's kind of a hard, a hard one to explain. That's probably the most relevant to the squat but also internal rotation, especially if you have hip pain and you find that if your knees are falling in a lot during the squat, that means that you're falling into internal rotation. And if you don't have internal rotation available, then that can be a problem. So that's the hip. <clears throat> it can be more complicated than that, but very simply just look at your hip flexion range. And if you find that you're going far beyond that during a squat, then you have to then realize that those muscles at that joint are not going to be able to do their best job and hence there's going to be more load shifted towards the knee joint to deal with that or the back often for a lot of people as their hips kind of shoot back um so that's something something worth thinking about if you have less hip range of motion and that's a restriction you're going to need more at the ankle joint to make up your squat which means that you may need to elevate your heels likewise if you have no, if you have very poor ankle dorsiflexion range of motion, you're going to need more range of motion at the hip joint to get through your squat, or you're going to need to elevate the heels to compensate for that again. So it's just it's just about thinking about what you actually have available. And then at the spine, like you don't need to necessarily have a lot of range of motion available at the spine for you to be able to to squat. But so the the only real prerequisite there is that you are actually able to brace well. So that you're actually able to brace brace your core, you understand how to create stability in the spine from top to bottom, and that's something that's very difficult to describe via a podcast. But if you're not able to create any sort of stability, then that would be where I would start in terms of bracing the spine from top to bottom. Because if that's just folding in on you every time you get to the bottom of a squat, or you're really dependent on arching your back hard and creating a massive arch, then that's something you could do with improving. Then as you move up to the shoulder joint, this actually is probably a more common issue for people than they realize because when people look at shoulder pain, they often think of, or oh, what's the problem with my pressing exercises? You know, they'll blame their bench press, they'll blame their overhead presses or any sort of other upper body exercise. But if you look at what is actually required to hold the bar on your back, you need a lot of external rotation at the shoulder joint, okay? And what that means is that <clears throat> if you if you cannot put your hands in the position that they are when you're holding the bar without any sort of load, then when you do that with 100, 150, 200 kilos, just think about what you're doing to your shoulders, all right? You're literally forcing them in under that position with ridiculously heavy loads. And that becomes even more relevant if you do a low bar back squat. So if you do a low bar back squat and you're pushing your hands into a, a position that your shoulders are just not very well able to tolerate, it's no surprise that you're going to begin to, to develop some sort of shoulder pain, some sort of elbow pain, and potentially some sort of wrist pain. So that is actually more common than you would think, especially in the low bar example. So you'll have people that have some shoulder pain, they'll have elbow pain typically in the, on the inside of the elbow, so that little pointy bone, your medial epicondyle on the, on the inside of the elbow, or you'll have people with wrist pain. Um, especially a, a compression type pain at the back of the wrist joint when you're squatting. So they're all things that you need to be aware of, okay? <clears throat> so if you if you are that person that you right now at this point, you've got a lot of those pain, that, that type of pain in the upper body when you're squatting and you're squatting with a low bar, 
I would start by, all right, let's progress to a high bar, see if that alleviates your pain. Focus on keeping your wrists in a neutral position so that you can keep your knuckles up towards the ceiling and you're not going back into that wrist extension. Because as that happens, you begin to put a lot of pressure on those flexor forearm muscles, which attach then to the medial epicondyle, which is why you have elbow pain. Okay, so that's just something we're thinking about. And if you are someone that you just can't get away from that pain when you squat, then it's time to maybe squat or squat with a front squat for a while or a safety bar squat for a while. So then what you do is you essentially respect the ranges that you have. And in the meantime, you can then work on them. So that's a, a gross overview of some of the things you might assess, some of the prerequisites for a squat. And I suppose the most important things from here are to think about what sort of variations you have available if you actually have some of those before you go on to so as we said to like variations go on. i don't want people to think that this is just applied to the squat because <clears throat> this is kind of the thing we're talking about that annoys us you know where it's like people just go oh it's the bench press purely because they've got that explained to them before like they've got the bench press example explained to them before so what you need to do from what gary just said there is use that 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 frame of assessment or that thought process around the assessment of the the joints that are being involved to you know identify any issues you have going on with other exercises you're doing so obviously he's just choosing a squat because it's you know there's a lot of shit that's going on um but you can also then apply that thought process to say how you do a leg press or how you do <clears throat> a hack squat or a pendulum squat or wh whatever it is you know so any of these kind of squat variations and stuff which i'm sure we're going to touch on some some things in a second but anything where you know you're you're, you're moving your your legs in that kind of we'll call it squat squat motor pattern whatever you want to call it but you want to be thinking like in a leg press do i have this available ankle range of motion do i have this available hip range of motion you know am i getting these kind of what people traditionally call like compensations that are going on because of these issues like you again like the leg press is one that you'll see and you were talking about you know the spine and stuff and, and the hip what people will do is go way beyond their range of motion at the hip and all of a sudden their pelvis will start tucking under just like it would in a squat you know like people are like oh this butt wink it's like no one ever talks about this butt wink on on the leg press you know where it, it's happening the exact same because you are going beyond this active range of motion and you know like, like we'll get into in a second i'm sure there are easy ways to work around this or kind of have a, a thought process around working around this like i'm just using that leg press example you know like actually being able to actively take your legs or your feet off the leg press in the bottom position you know even if it's just a millimeter that means that you actually have this this range of motion available to you so if you're starting this leg press and you know you're already just just about able to get into it and you can't really move around and like your pelvis is already feeling like it's it's wanting to tuck under, then there's there's something going on that this is beyond your active range of motion. So again, I don't want you to think from this discussion that oh, this is all just pertains to the squat. You need to take this uh, this thought process and then go, okay, so what does this mean for whatever variations of exercises you're doing, whatever lower body exercises you're doing well, in this instance, and whatever exercise variations you are doing throughout your whole workout program like you use this thought process and go okay so do i actually have the available range to get into that position unloaded can i actually actively bring my body into that range of motion no okay well then something needs to change you know anyway guy go on yeah no, that, that actually is really important because it, it, it is sort of the whole purpose of us actually doing this podcast is it's not it doesn't just apply to things like your squats and your bench presses etc like it is just as important with your leg presses even with your lunges etc and a lot of those exercises do tend to actually crop up as problems for people like like i have one client who is reporting that you know she was having this some discomfort when she was performing the leg press it just wasn't feeling very good she didn't feel like she was she was really locked into it and this is someone who has experience in powerlifting so typically these type of these people are the greatest at creating a lot of stability during exercises and but but the general culture in powerlifting and i'm not saying this related to her is that everything else is an accessory exercise and you know the squat the bench and the deadlift are all that really matter so when she was going on to the leg press she was just kind of sitting down and just pushing away not realizing that her bracing her spine creating that stability was just as important here as it was during the squat and that's the way you need to be thinking about those about every other exercise is that you need to go through the same kind of assessment process, the same sort of bracing process, the same general thought process if you want to get the most out of all of those exercises. And and the leg press is a good one that you brought up because 
I think more people have a problem with the leg press than they do with the squat. But the thing with the leg press is that you don't see the problem quite as much because in the squat, it's sort of uh, this, this system where the bar can move wherever it wants. So you see the compensations happening. You see your hips fall backwards and your chest fall forwards. You see those sorts of things happening. You feel them. They don't really feel nice. Whereas on the leg press, because you're kind of locked into one position, you can just kind of let it fall down on top of you and push back up. And until you start to get knee pain or hip pain or whatever, it doesn't really bother you too much. So you need to be proactive. And that, that, that type of assessment is definitely the best one because it's, it's so simple the one you just talked about, Paddy, about pull, pulling the foot off. Can you pull it off? Cool. You're prob- you're within your range that you, that you can actually con- control. So that, that's a good starting point. Um, but yeah, um, where are we going to go? Oh yeah, in terms of variations then, um, I don't want to necessarily, I don't want to say that people should just go from a squat and just just stop squatting and just do a leg press because that's stupid. Uh, to me, like that that's, that's a lot of the thought process in the fi- in the fitness industry is like all right this exercise doesn't work for you okay don't do it it's like that that's not what we want to be telling people at all because the whole point of thinking about this this stuff to a deeper level in terms of the ranges you have available etc is so that you can customize exercise it's not about avoiding because because that just that just defeats the purpose especially if you're someone that really enjoys squatting so where can you go if you're starting from a basic barbell back squat and it, let, let's let's look at the variations for the shoulder. So as we said, if you've got some discomfort at the shoulder joint, then what you could do, you could squat to, you could squat with a, a safety bar, a safety bar. You could squat with a front squat, or you could very simply start by going from low bar to high bar, or going from close grip to wide grip. Because a lot of people kind of look at people like Olympic weightlifters, and they see that they, it looks impressive when you're holding the bar very close, and they tend to be the best squatters. So they try to emulate that without realizing that they may not have that range available. So simply taking a wider grip, sometimes even taking your thumb out from under the bar and putting it putting it over the bar, that can be actually really helpful. And if you have had that kind of medial elbow pain, that wrist pain for a long period of time, <clears throat> it can also be helpful to use some wrist wraps in the short term to kind of take off some of that load and give the wrist a bit of support. So that they're, they're kind of the main things you're looking at in terms of alleviating stress in the upper body. But obviously changing those exercise variations that also changes what's going on in the lower body. So it's important to think about that too. So if you're someone that has, I suppose I'll group these together. If you're someone that has hip pain or butt wink, so that, that like a little bit of butt wink, meaning that the pelvis is tucking in posteriorly with a little bit of lumbar flexion, a, l- a little bit of that is fine. But Firstly, you have to be able to tolerate it. So if you don't have the spinal extensor strength to tolerate it, that could be a problem. Um, and secondly, it has to be kind of controlled. If you're totally rounding your back at the bottom, then that's when butt wink tends to be a bit more of a problem. So if you have either that butt wink or you have that hip pain, then that kind of tells you that you're going beyond your active range at the hip joint for whatever reason. Okay, so the, the simplest way to address that and, and obviously, I'm assume, we're assuming general population here. I'm not assuming that you're a powerlifter that has to reach a certain depth or you're an Olympic lifter that has to catch at the very bottom because they're sports. It's different. But the, the simplest fix is to just squat a little bit higher for a while. Okay, so squat a little bit higher is the easiest fix because it just kind of reduces the problem totally. But that, might, that may not be your longer-term solution. So what you can try and do is, as we said, the hip can sometimes be limited by the ankle. Okay, because if you don't have ankle varsity flexion, you have to use more of your hip range of motion. So you could elevate the heel slightly, and everyone thinks this means going buying squat shoes or standing on a wedge. Like you can literally go into pennies for three euro and buy little heel cups that elevate your heel, and that'll do enough to allow you extra range of motion, or you can buy them online on Amazon. But elevating the heels will mean that more of your squat, so the total movement, the total work done, will come via your knees going forward over your toes versus your hip flexing into its full hip flexion range okay so that, that that's an easy fix and then the other thing that that's helpful there is to push your knees out a little bit more and a lot of people do push this to extreme to the extreme partially because of some of the things promoted by like the what's what's the supple leopard guy kelly starrett not saying that yeah, not, not not saying not not criticizing his information or anything, but like one of the things that was promoted 
by that era was that you you should squat with your feet pointing forward and then your knees out as hard as you can. And that's not necessarily always helpful, but pushing them out a little bit can be helpful provided you actually have control of that. And that essentially has an effect that we've described in the triage militia in the squat mechanic series. But the effect is essentially it replicates you having shorter femurs. So from the perspective of the squat as a system, it makes it easier to squat if you do have longer femurs. And but that's a sort of a separate issue. But yeah, pushing the knees out or elevating the heels. And then the third thing that kind of comes into that if the hip is, is, is an issue for you is overarching at the spine. Okay, because what happens when people like this is particularly common in females because you know people often associate the way an exercise looks with the muscles that it works so sometimes maybe it's just for instagram females have a tendency to really arch their back hard and stick their ass out when they're doing a squat type of exercise with the idea that it's going to hit the glutes more like maybe maybe that's the idea or maybe it's just to look good but that's essentially serving you very poorly because what that does is as soon as you arch your back and anteriorly tilt your pelvis, that that essentially robs you of hip range of motion that you have available. So it might take five to 10 degrees of hip range of motion from you, which means that that's not available then when you come to the bottom of the squat. So a very easy fix, and, and this is this is very common in males as well. I'm, so I'm not, not generalizing, but it is common in males too. Because people tend to think that creating stability at the spine means arching their back hard, and that's not the same thing. So a very easy fix for that is to start learning to brace the front of your core. So learning your full kind of core muscular musculature. So your 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 rectus abdominis, your obliques, your tra- your transverse abdominis, and your back muscles. You should be thinking about doing all of those things. So taking your breath in, bracing hard. And letting those muscles do their job by creating that stability as opposed to just arching your back. Okay, so if you can reduce that arch in your back, that's going to give you more hip range of motion. Okay, so that's the hip. And the thing with the knee joint is that the issues that people will have at the at the knee joint. Sorry, actually, I should actually also add the, the other variations other than just technical ones. If you do a front squat or a safety bar squat, or a goblet squat, or swap from low bar to high bar, essentially the more the load goes forward, that's going to allow you to stay more upright in your squat as well, meaning that you will have less of a range of motion demand at the hip joint because more can come from the, the knee and the ankle. Okay, so that, that's, that's a really helpful way to reduce loading at the hip or the back. So if you have back or hip pain, or you've had those problems we've been talking about, then shifting to a front squat, a goblet squat, or a safety bar squat, or even just a really high bar squat, that's a really a really easy way to kind of sort that out as well. Okay, so then when we think about knee pain, like variations to reduce that, like if you have, like this is a very difficult one because sometimes people have issues at the knee joint because of the hip or the ankle, okay? Because as we said, the hip range of motion is rarely the limiting factor. So what can happen is that if you don't have sufficient range of motion at the hip joint, and you experience that sort of butt wink that we talked about already, then what can end up happening is that because your hip muscles are no longer in the best position to produce the optimal amount of force, it has to be shifted towards the knee joint and they end up taking up a disproportionate amount of the actual load. So the easiest way to kind of address that is to address the things I'm talking about related to the hip or the ankle. Okay, so if you change your squat variation or your squat technique in favor of being in your active range of motion at the hip and and the ankle then that's going to sort of fix things for you hopefully but it, it really depends on the type of pain that you're experiencing and it may not just be a result of your technique so if you if you have like patellofemoral issues then you may find that if you are at the very bottom of a squat very deep then that's where your pain comes on in that case you want to have less knee flexion in your squat which means that you might want to choose one of the squat variations that have a little bit more of the hip involved. So you'd be going in the reverse order of what we talked about for the hip. And you'd be saying, all right, I want to put more load on the hip, which means something like a a, a lower bar back squat or gener- a general back squat or a box squat where you're cutting your range a little bit shorter and not maximizing knee flexion. Okay, so again, like this isn't supposed to be very specific injury advice because like you may have had you may have a specific knee issue in which case this advice may not work. But if you cover all your bases, it's going to, to be somewhat helpful. Um, 
so yeah, the, then then the ankle, the variations, like realistically, most people, I, I don't think ankle pain is that common during the squat, but it is common for some people. So if you find that you're slamming really hard at the bottom of the squat, slamming your knees forward, and you've got some sort of ankle pain as a result of that, then again, reducing the demand at the knee and the ankle by choosing one of those more hip dom- hip dominant squats is going to be helpful. Okay, so I think I think that covers a lot of it, but just to kind of sum it up, and a squat that has the load further towards the front of the body, i.e. a front squat, a goblet squat, or kind of a safety bar squat, what that's going to mean is that you can stay more upright. It means that your knee is going to go further forward and you're going to avail of more knee and ankle range of motion, and you're not going to be limited by the hip joint quite as much. Okay, so if you've got that hip pain, that back pain, choose one of those variations in the short term, it may be helpful. Okay, that can be coupled with elevation at the heels to allow you to stay a little bit more upright if you feel that is the source of the problem. Whereas if it is the knees going forward, the deep knee flexion or the deep ankle flexion that is causing you a problem, then you want to avail of more the hip range of motion, which means one of the more hip dominant squats, something like a box squat, a back squat. Or a squat where you're generally your general intent is to push the hips back further. So, so, so that's that's a lot of the the squat. Like <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of things. So that kind of goes, does comprehensively get through that. So we'll do one more kind of body plane movement, and I think we'll do another episode on the other two that you were saying. So what do you want to do, Gary? Do you want to stay lower body and talk about kind of the the hip hinging, or do you want to move upper body and talk about that kind of pressing or pulling? Yeah, I think maybe we'll we'll do we'll do a deadlift and then we can because the easiest way then is to treat this as like the lower body kind of thing and then we'll do the upper body in the next one. Um, I'm gonna title good, this too? like lower lower body ARAM <laughs> assessment. But yeah, that that went far beyond just the active range of motion stuff, but it, it's it's useful, so use it, peeps. Um, but yeah, deadlift. Um, so as, as, as I probably should have pointed out at the, at the start, think, thinking about active range of motion is not just about thinking the range of motion that you work through in the exercise, but it's also thinking about the prerequisites for even starting to perform the exercise. So for example, in the squat, what we talked about was being able to get your hands, your elbows, and your shoulders into position. So even though those joints are not moving a lot during the exercise, they do still need to be in position, Okay. So that's an important thing to think about. So when we think about the deadlift, okay, we've got very similar um, joints involved as we do during the squat. And some people will say that, oh, a deadlift is basically just a squat where you're holding the bar. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. They're, they're very different. But the deadlift, typically, people think of as it has to be from the floor, okay? And that's where the problems tend to arise here because... I think more people try to force themselves into positions they might be in control of on the deadlift than they do in the squat. Because in the squat, some people, at least people feel they have the freedom to adjust their range of motion. Whereas in a deadlift, people are like, oh, no, 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 it, it has to be from the floor, obviously. So just remember that any sort of deadlift, uh, like a deadlift, is does t- come from sports, okay? So Olympic lifting and powerlifting, they're the sports that require you to pull things from the floor. If you're training for general health, general hypertrophy, injury prevention, etc., then you do not need to pull from the floor. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Okay. So when it comes to assessment, you're actually assessing pretty similar things. Okay. So you need to know what you have available at the ankle. The knee realistically isn't going to be a limiting factor. And you need to know what you have to what you have available at the actual hip joint. And this is, the, this is the place I like to go most often for people if I was to assess someone for a deadlift is that you get them to lie on your back and you do that exact same hip assessment that we used during the squat. So you get them to flex the hip, you see what the, ang- the angle that is available is and you can, anyone listening to this can actually go and do that because all you have to do is lie down on your back, flex your hip up, uh, i.e. bring your knee towards your chest, see how far you can pull it without your back lifting up and then you just take a picture from the side so you can just video yourself. And then what you do is you compare that to either the bottom position of your squat or you compare it to your starting position of your deadlift. And what you might see is that you're far beyond 
the position that you're able to come to actively. And then what you'll find is that when you go to pull the bar off the floor, if you if you cannot come down to the bottom, your starting point at the deadlift, and actually get there without either having to really pull yourself down or swing your hips in to actually get into that position, then that probably tells you that you're beyond your range. So realistically, you should feel somewhat comfortable being in the bottom position. You should feel like you're able to generate bodily tension. You should feel like you're able to be there and not feel like you need to get out of there after a second, okay? Because that essentially tells you that you're really forcing yourself into a range that you may not own. So some of the things that, some of the the sort of, the places where, where the, feel, the wheels fall off, as you said, Patty, it will be, the most common one is the hips shooting up too soon, okay? So if the hips are shooting up really, really soon in your deadlift, like it can be a technical error for sure. It, can, it could just be you not generating sufficient tension, um, not taking your time off the floor. But it may also be the fact that if your hips are beyond their active range at the bottom, i.e. you're not really in control of that position, then the easiest thing for your body to do is to shift the hips backwards, get some tension in the hamstrings so we can pull up further and then begin to produce force from there. Okay, so if you find that no matter what technical tip you use, that your hips always go into that position, then try pulling from like two to three inch blocks for a while, see how that feels. You'll probably find that it feels a little bit different. So that's probably the most common one for people is the hips, the hips shooting back, which tends to be coupled then with rounding of the back unless you have very strong spinal extensors okay so you'll find that the back might round you may have back pain and that's probably the most common thing that people experience during the deadlift okay um in the in the upper back you may find that your shoulders round forward a lot but that and and that can be related to you not generating sufficient tightness i.e like pulling your shoulders down locking your shoulder blades down your lats tightening your lats squeezing the bar hard screwing yourself in like that all that stuff is relevant but i think the most pressing thing to talk about in relation to the deadlift for this conversation is the assessment at the hip so you need to start by assessing your hip range of motion seeing what you have available and then seeing what that looks like when you're actually at the bottom of your deadlift okay and then what you might find is that when you're doing a conventional deadlift it may be beyond your range but then you might find that the convent or the sumo style deadlift is actually more suitable for you. You may find that it's 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 more comfortable because you may have certain hip anatomy or you may have certain bodily proportions that lead you to doing better with that. And to assess for that, essentially what you do is you you do the the regular hip flexion assessment we talked about, where you're lying on your back, but you just push the hip further out to the side. Okay, and you see if you're able to actually control that position. And you can do this at the actual bar as well, okay? So when you come to the bar and you're holding the bar, if you, if you do a sumo deadlift variation and you cannot push your knees out, i.e. they're just falling in, then you probably don't have the hip external rotation, probably hip external rotation, but slash abduction. If You probably don't have that strength right now, okay? So, so people often do that with a conventional deadlift where they start with a, a foot position that's far too wide, a knee position that's far too wide when they don't have that hip external rotation available and hence bringing it in a little can be helpful. Um, so if you're to address those issues with the deadlift, so for example, you're listening to this and you're saying, all right, you know what? I have been having a bit of back pain. My hips have been shooting back a lot. I've tried every technical trick under the sun and I just haven't been able to keep my hips down or feel like I'm in control throughout the exercise. Then firstly, you could just use a totally different hip hinge variation like a good morning or a Romanian deadlift or a st- stiff leg deadlift, whatever you want to call it. You could just do that because if you're just doing this for the purpose of general hip strength, so you're doing, you, you want to strengthen your glutes, your hamstrings, your adductors, your back, then it doesn't need to be a pull from the floor at all. Like that, That's not a requirement at all. But if you like that sort of deadlift movement where you're pulling from a dead stop, then you could use something like blocks or even racks where you're increasing the height of the the starting position of the bar so that your hip is in a position that you're fully in control of at the start so if you find that there's a small discrepancy between your active range of motion when you assess it and the position you normally deadlift from i.e from the floor then you can make up that by simply elevating the bar a little and that's that's pretty helpful and a lot of people are reluctant to do this even though they pretty much do it anyway by 
you know, everyone says, oh, wear flat shoes when you deadlift or deadlift barefoot. It's like, do you not see that this is the exact same thing as elevating the bar? You know, so it's funny because people are, are so reluctant to being like, oh, Jesus, no, you have to pull from the floor. I'm, not, I'm just like, why don't you wear fucking big Doc Martin shoes when you deadlift? So it's like, obviously it makes it harder. And that's why people do de- deficit deadlifts because they're ridiculously hard. You know, it's, 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 it's like if you are someone that maybe you're far beyond your active range when you do a deadlift and it's really uncomfortable for you to be in that position, you might be doing a deficit deadlift where someone else may be in a position where it's just very comfortable to be in that bottom position. So it's totally different. So that, that would be probably the biggest thing that I would say in relation to any sort of deadlift variation. But it is important as well to reiterate that like the deadlift is fairly overrated for hypertrophy. Like, I mean, for someone that's just generally looking to develop some strength to build a bit of muscle and look good, like it's relatively overrated because it's totally arbitrary. You're just pulling a bar from the floor and it, t- it takes in, like it's just a very, very difficult exercise for the sake of maybe strengthening your hamstrings or your glutes so you really have to ask yourself what the goal is and then take into account some of those things we talk however you have to take into account as well that it is one of these exercises that is quite bang for your book or whatever you want to call them so if you're you're like oh look i only have x amount of training days and i want to choose an exercise that is going to hit things a lot of things in a short amount of time then yeah fucking deadlifts are great however that doesn't mean you're doing singles, triples, even fives on the deadlift. Yeah. Like if you're linking like, oh, I want to get the most bang for my book, like surely you're going to be doing like 12 reps or eight reps on the deadlift, which, you know, most people aren't doing, unfortunately, because they're fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there, Gary. Like the, the deadlift is one of those ones that people are kind of like, yeah, you, you have to do it. And it's like, what, what is it doing? And people will be like, oh, it's a back exercise. Other people would be like, no, it's a hamstring exercise. Other people would be like, oh, no, it's glute exercise. And it's like, well, like, obviously something's going on here where it's working different things for different people. And obviously it is working the posterior chain as a whole. So it is a bang for your book exercise. But if, you're, if your goal is not, I don't know, you don't want to hypertrophy your, your traps, you know, maybe it's a shit exercise for you, <laughs> you know? So you do have to actually question why it's in, in your, your program as a whole. Yeah, and it, it, like you said, it it does kind of come back to that that time aspect of the stars checklist that we talked about a few weeks ago. You know, where you have to think about whether or not it's time efficient for your goal. So, like, if you're literally just doing it because I don't know, you just want to strengthen your hamstrings, like that's it. You're just doing it as a hamstring exercise. Then, like, it's a relatively large amount of fatigue to accumulate for that, and it's also a relatively large amount of time that you're investing when you could just do some leg curls, you know? But on the other side of things, like you said, Patty, if you're just looking to develop the most amount of muscle mass and the most amount of strength that is quote-unquote functional, then the deadlift is a great exercise. But again, people tend to think, all right, I have to do sets of one to five because it's a deadlift, you know, and it's all about lifting the most way possible. Whereas if you have ever programmed, like you said, sets of eight to 12 on, on deadlifts, then you'll find that like, man, a few sets of 12 on deadlift is is a workout in and of itself. Like you will be pretty much done after that. So if you are, you know, looking to, to save yourself some time in the gym, that's a good idea. But just forget the powerlifting is even a thing if you are not into powerlifting, okay? Because you, so it ruins so many people's training by focusing on doing singles and doubles and triples and testing their one at max and trying to emulate the way in which powerlifters lift. Because like, like, no no one goes into the gym and says oh i'm just gonna do snatches like like why aren't you impressed by olympic weightlifters like they're way more impressive by far you know <laughs> but yeah I, th- I think that covers most of the things with the deadlift because realistically it's hard to it's hard to talk about more of this stuff without you actually seeing what i'm talking about because i'm almost making images in my head and i'm like some people won't even get this but yeah if you do if you do have questions obviously yeah. just let us know and yeah but using the framework from the deadlift you can then also obviously apply it to other hip hinge variations and i would even go as far as saying like you can even apply it to stuff that is in this weird category where it's it's not you wouldn't really classify it as a hip hinge maybe like a a hip thrust you know like you can still you can still use that thought process and go yeah 
what's happening here? Because a lot of people will think of a hip thrust and go, oh, that means that the, the bar has to come from the ground, you know? And it's like, well, maybe you just don't have the available, like look at look at your, your femur length and your, your lower leg length. And I was going to say tibia, but like obviously not. Uh, but like obviously your foot and shit. But anyway, um, yeah. if, if you look at your, your, your mechanics as a whole and you look at how you perform the hip thrust and you're going, I want to get the maximum tension on my glutes. Like performing it from the floor may be a terrible option for you. You know, and we've kind of had this discussion before back and forth with each other. And I, I always think I'm like, the glute bridge looks like a way better exercise for for the glutes as a whole, in my opinion. Right. However, there then becomes all this this issue around, oh, you, you start getting this barbell that kind of rolls back on you and you have to support it more and people can't load it as much. And, you know, diff- different things start going on. So people then don't have it as a good exercise. But then I think I kind of always apply this, that, that kind of thought process to how exercises themselves come about, because you'll have an exercise that maybe is a better exercise, but one exercise is easier to load or it's easier to perform. And all of a sudden we'll just go, yeah, we'll just we'll just stick with the, the easier to load, easier to perform exercise because you know the hassle of this one, and you know like there's too many too many moving parts going on, and then it just becomes dogma that this potentially less effective exercise is the exercise that you are to do. Like I would argue, you know, if you wanted to grow your legs, like sticking to something like a safety squat bar for the vast majority of people is going to be far superior, especially if you elevate the heels as well, like in, in terms of growing your quads, strengthening the, the overall musculature of the lower body. But people go, oh, no, 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 it's a safety squat bar. Like it has to be a straight bar or it doesn't count, you know? So y- you can obviously see why certain exercises become the the, the, the norm, the, the dogmatic exercise to do uh, versus, you know, th- these exercises that are potentially better for your overall goals and that's all we want you to think of with this this active range of motion discussion it's not necessarily just going oh never do this exercise it's about potentially modifying exercises to ensure that you are safe healthy and actually able to load the tissue that you're trying to load but also obviously remain injury free but then also thinking with this this theoretical framework of what is my goal and how can i best go about achieving this you know you might actually be able to look at your active range of motion and go like like for me like i back squatted for fucking years right and i have literally the longest femurs in the world <laughs> you know uh, and that doesn't mean that never meant that i was bad at the back squat now don't get me wrong i'm not saying i'm fucking good uh, <laughs> but that, that didn't mean that i wasn't able to get strong at that movement but i used to always wonder I was like oh why do my knees hurt why does this issue go on what like what, why am i always like whatever things going on and once i stopped back squatting and moved to say a front squat it's like oh all these little niggles that i was like oh that's just that's just normal just kind of went away like i have oshkot slatter disease and we, like we haven't talked about that before but i have mentioned it before uh which is another thing that you know people have different bony spurs and different things that are going on that's going to prevent them from doing certain exercises or potentially place tension in areas that they they don't want to have you know or don't want to have that tension um so, you know, for me, switching to a front squat and I was essentially still the same range of motion. Well, it is the same, still the same range of motion uh, from the outside. You're looking at, oh, it's pretty much the exact same squat. But the way my body reacted to that was completely different. Now, obviously, this makes sense given the whole like axial loading, obviously like that posterior loading, whatever. Uh, but even, even looking at just my femurs and going, okay, well, this makes sense why you find front squats so much easier on the body even though obviously i am loading them less like you're just never going to be able to front squat what you can back squat unless you're some fucking mutant like um so even though i'm loading less i'm getting better results like my legs have never felt stronger you know so again this is this goes back to what you were saying a little bit earlier on as well like there are these arbitrary definitions of like oh you have to deadlift from the floor and that's how we measure strength you know it's like well like how is that a measure of strength at all like surely surely there's better measures of strength you know especially if you are engaged in a sport or you are engaged in you know general life because like you look at powerlifters and i know we kind of always pick on powerlifters but it's just because the fitness industry seems to only listen to powerlifting you know um but you look at powerlifters and they're like oh like we're we're the strongest fucking most badass humans on the the planet and you're like do a chin up 
and they get half a one. You know, it's like, how can you claim to be strong and you can't even lift your own body weight, you know? <laughs> uh, and obviously there is that argument that, like, if you're a 50 kilo person and you're knocking out fucking sets of 50 on chin-ups, it's like, all right, cool, that's impressive somewhat, but it's also not impressive at all. But, you know, if you are, if you are, I don't know, whatever, a 95 kilo powerlifter and you're like, oh, my, my deadlift is fucking 300 kilos and you're like, I'm a fucking beast. And I go, yeah, do a chin-up and you can't. And it's like, that's there's something wrong there you're not actually strong you're just really really efficient at the movements you're doing and this is kind of something that we haven't really touched on with this debate because obviously it's somewhat not relevant but it is at the same time you know people have these arbitrary definitions of strength and they then try to fit themselves to those definitions and like you mentioned like olympic lifters earlier on and it's like people always look at these olympic lifters and i don't care how fucking bad you wish it you are not going to squat like that unless you are built to squat like that you're just not going to so you might look at i don't know clock off squat and go oh he has a beautiful squat you know that does not mean that you're going to be able to squat like that like i don't care how much you want it like how badly you're like oh man i wish i could squat like that if you have femurs the size of fucking jupiter it's not going to happen you know you're going to have to have a modified squat and you're not going to be able to you know like oh you look at like someone like clarence kennedy and some people are like oh like he asked to grasses those fucking squats and it's like you're not going to be able to like you you don't have the range of motion that he has or the active range of motion that he has or even like the passive range of motion that he has so i don't see why you think you would be able to move like that you know so i think again like we've talked about it before but people have to get their their story straight you know in terms of like they say they want these goals but then they have all these caveats and it's like you don't actually want these goals. You want, like, you want to be this generalist, but you want to be a hyper specialist at the same time. Like, I was talking to someone on Instagram before I deleted my Instagram because um, it's a waste of time uh, about, you know, like the the genetic potential, you know. And I was just saying, I was like, like it's, it's it's something that's really fucking stupid to worry about because unless you are going to dedicate your life to this, this whole like fitness stuff or whatever you want, whatever you want to call this stuff. It's like, you're, you're never going to actually be able to achieve it. You know, like if you have all these stressors going on, you have all these, these financial worries going on, college, a job, etc. you know, relationships, like you're, you're just never going to be able to fully get to where you want to be, you know, but what people want is to get there and still do all these other things. And this is kind of what we're talking about with this active range of motion. People want to, get an end result which is either like build a physique or be healthy or be pain-free but they also want all these other things and it's like you, do you realize that these other things are somewhat holding you back from what you want to do and as long as you're aware of that and you're happy with that awesome cool i have no issues with that but if you're kind of like oh no i want to achieve these these are my main objective this is my main goal in life and then you refuse to get out of this dogmatic you know oh i must squat or i must do whatever then you know you're always going to be held back you know yes sir and i completely agree with you Rita, regarding the the goals thing as well i don't think people are very clear on what they want like at all because some people say you know they they want to build the most amount of muscle possible that's all they care about like even like actual bodybuilders and it's like all right cool quit your job Quit your job, <laughs> sleep like twelve hours a day, and and do the things that that it, that actually takes you towards that that genetic potential. Like obviously, that's not a good a good idea unless that genuinely is your life. But like, I think the genetic potential thing is funny because it's just the most wasted discussion ever. Like, like wh why even bother having it? Because like realistically, no one like th there's probably probably no one is ever going to reach their their full absolute maximal potential in anything like even if you look at people that genuinely pour their lives into something like someone like elon musk like look at the discrepancy between him and like a regular businessman who supposedly does everything it's like the man like just oh yeah just build rockets and and cars and yeah i'm just gonna build a, build tunnels under cities and all this stuff and it's like like imagine if you actually committed your full 100 percent effort every second of every minute of every day to one thing like you would reach stupid results but again people do want to be generalists like you said but they won't necessarily say it and i'm like 
I actually think being a generalist is great, but you just have to first accept that if you want to be a generalist, then don't set the goal of just back squatting triple body weight arbitrarily if it means nothing to you. Because one of the hidden things, like, and you mentioned Clarence, like one of the hidden things about these people that you see that have ridiculous high performance, man, they are in pain. Like they're not healthy. Like, and, and they will admit it to you. They're like, I am and my fucking knees are fucked. You know, and they're just, they're just cool with saying it because they're like, these are the sacrifices I'm actually willing to make to be at the level of performance that I am. And like, they're cool with that. Whereas like people look at these athletes and they look at people performing and powerlifting and stuff and they're like, oh yeah, I want that. And it's like, no, 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 you don't want that. You want to be able to lift that, but you don't want to deal with the shit that comes with that. You know, the, the back pain, the injury, the, oh, no, thanks. Like, <laughs> yeah. And people, people do this as well. Even forget about the, <clears throat> the, the sports people or whatever. Like they'll literally do it on Instagram when they'll look at someone and be like, oh, I want to be like that. And it's like, okay, that's just this Instagram fit famer who literally does nothing with their whole life, you know, except go to the, go to the gym. You know, it's like, you, you, you don't want that. Like you have a job, you have a career, you want to have a family, you want to do whatever else. And it's like, how, how can you expect to get the same results as someone that's actually just like, oh yeah, I go to the gym for two hours, six days a week, you know, and this is all I do. And it's like, all right, like you, you shouldn't be comparing the two things, you know? But yeah, I think that kind of, wraps it up there um is there anything else you'd like to say no sir we will see you all in episode two for upper body stuff too easy peace out too easy